We ought to go ahead and get started. We finished up your goldenrod sheet, which was part one of the explanation of the beginning of the history of the common service. We saw that uh, Henry Melker Muhlenberg, who was kind of the father of Lutheranism, was, or of American Lutheranism, uh, had helped to get the 1748 uh, church order, church book, uh, turned out to be a, a pretty good one. Um, we saw the back of that had the order, which looked quite a bit like uh, many of ours. It wasn't everything there, but uh, it was it was pretty decent. From that point on, things started to go south. Uh, as Muhlenberg got a little bit older and uh, the rest of them started changing things and whether it was pietism, uh, rationalism, but what we really found is that it was the leaders and the, and, and the pastors that were the ones that were uh, changing it in which we ended with this in which it said, yeah, that was kind of a, of a sorry mess. Um, Today we're going to take a look at your white sheet. It has part two on it. Um, we're going to start off taking a look at what the Tennessee Senate did. We're going to see that it is a uh, bit of a light and a beacon in the midst of it, but due to their size, it probably had very little of long-lasting effect. Um, uh, I'm going to try to push on through um, the next thing we'll be taking a look is at the New York Ministerium, and uh, we saw some of the things that happened last time that we saw was the general prayer. We're going to be pushing forward, uh, showing you uh, what they did with the liturgy, as well as if I get a chance to take a look at what's called the Eucharistic prayer. So, let's get on it. Part 2. As our emphasis is on the development of the English liturgy leading to the common service, we will not be as thorough in our explication of the German liturgy. So, he's going to primarily look at the English ones. We may be noted in past, what may be noted in passing is the German liturgies were in the main almost every bit as problematic from the perspective of the early liturgies as the English throughout the entire period under consideration. The first half of the 19th century offered little respite from un-Lutheran worship, though there was an enclave in the small evangelical Lutheran Tennessee Senate, which was established in 1820. 1820. At the 1821 conference of the Tennessee Senate, it was resolved that a liturgy be arranged according to the scriptures in the Augsburg Confession. Uh, that the Reverend Paul Hank will be appointed to attend to this matter for the use of the Senate just as soon as practicable, that between two and three hundred copies be printed, that the expenses be defrayed by the several treasuries. This cannot be seen as a surprising development since Unionists in their former Senate had, among other things, tried to force on them a liturgy written by a rationalist. Uh, this was Quitman, Frederick Quitman. Uh, you might remember he was the one who, who wrote with the uh, 
uh, the recension of the Augsburg Confession and, and things of this sort. And so uh, the Tennessee Senate uh, did not stay around. They left and started their own hymnal. Reverend Paul Hingle's hymnal had actually been first published in 1816, but after being revised by one of his sons, Ambrose Hankel, it would be republished several times until its final printing in 1857. In the preface of the 1816 edition of the Church Hymn Book, Hankel explained that the hymnal project grew out of the successful publication of an edition of the Catechism, which he had written previously. And so, not only did this small Tennessee Senate put out of it a really good hymnal, uh, they also put out the very first English edition of the small catechism to be used. So up to this point, uh, they did not uh, they did not have that. Um, anyway, this goes through, I'm going to skip over that quote. It's not until 1838, 13 years after the death of Paul Henkel, that we read, quote, the church hymn book prepared by Ambrose Henkel by order of the Senate is now published. So it, well, it didn't actually get out, you know, uh, with those two to three hundred copies and things of that sort till after his death. It may be obtained any time by applying to the publisher, Dr. Solomon Henkel, another of his sons, New Market, Shenandoah County, Virginia. Reverends Ambrose Henkel, Jacob Gillian, Jacob Stirwalt, were requested to prepare a liturgy for the use of the church and lay it before the Senate at its next session. In the preface to the 1838 edition, uh, that's the copy of that hymn book, of the church book, the title page, which now declares, published by the order of the Evangelical Lutheran Tennessee Senate. Ambrose Hempel explains, but without offering any particular apologies in its favor, let us suffice to say that this work is not an entirely new and independent publication. The principal matter of its contents has been in reputable demand for a considerable length of time in the church as its contents are purely evangelical. As the hymns apportioned to the Gospels and Epistles, so we got hymns to go with the daily readings, you know, the church here, which were much admired for their simplicity and strict uh, accordance with the respective text, uh, connected with many other desirable qualities. He goes on to talk about uh, uh, what they did in addition to that, particularly the hymns. Indeed, the table of contents of that 1838 edition declares, demonstrates that the congregations of the Tennessee Senate were expected to hear to the traditional calendar of the church year, that one-year series, uh, use the hymns that fit those Sundays. Um, there were numerous headings uh, according to articles of Christian faith, vocation. Uh, as it says here, it was notably a Lutheran hymnal. The next year, in 1839, we read in the minutes of the Senate of Tennessee, the committee, which had been appointed the previous session to prepare a liturgy for the use of the church, submitted the manuscript for examination. So that first one was mainly a hymn book. Now you've got the uh, liturgy itself. Uh, finally, after examination, they've approved it. They published it. Uh, they're passing it on. It was called Liturgy or Book of Forms for the Use of the Evangelical Lutheran Church, 1843. It was apparently built around a new translation uh, of a German liturgy of 1786. 
It contains forms for the performance of all ministerial acts. It's mainly a translation of this one from the Pennsylvania Senate. Um, it contains no responses, whatever, only provides prayers for use before and after the sermon and a number of benedictions. Uh, the other parts of the work are entirely scriptural and in full accordance with Lutheran doctrine. Bishop Heiser says, the efforts of the Tennessee Senate are the one point of light in a bleak night of English liturgy, hymnody, and liturgy in the first half of the 19th century. Uh, but we must agree with the scholarly assessment that, but it is probable that the use of this book was confined within the limits of the Tennessee Senate and that on Lutheran hymnody in general it exerted no appreciable influence. However, the pastors of the Evangelical Lutheran Tennessee Senate were not trying to remake all of American Lutheran practice. They perceived the state of the church on this content, continent to be one of profound decline in doctrine and practice, and they were, I might say, simply trying to faithfully serve the saints whom the Lord of the church had placed into their care. So, small senate, you know, 14 congregations, something like that. Um, and they were doing their best uh, in the midst of all that was going on on the East Coast to just try to stay alive and to provide that for them. Outside, though, moving on to the second part, um, on your white shoes, we keep going. Outside of the small Tennessee Senate, the situation rapidly grew much, much worse. The 1795 English liturgy was replaced in the New York Ministerium by the 806 liturgy, which further diminished the fixed form. The pastor was now offering an extemporaneous prayer, uh, not just long prayers, but you know, just say whatever comes to your mind. The distribution of the Lord's Supper used the words Jesus said, etc., um, this is a reference to the uh, Union Liturgy that was published over uh, in Prussia that was forced upon them in which uh, they wanted to bring the Calvinists that didn't believe that it was the Christ's body and blood Lord's Supper with the Lutherans and to have them have one church. They didn't want two churches <coughs> in their uh, region. They wanted one. So they wrote a liturgy that they thought both of them could use. And instead of the pastor handing out the elements of Lord's Supper and saying, this is the body and blood of Christ, this is the body of Christ given for you, this is the blood, he would say, Jesus said this is the body of Christ given for you. Did Jesus say it? Well, yes, he did. But that's not the point. The point was is that if you're a Calvinist, Jesus said it, but you can believe what you want. And if you're a Lutheran, here's what Jesus said, but you can believe what you want. And yeah, so that was brought in. Uh, the liturgy was quickly replaced by one that was even worse in 1814 by the Evangelical Lutheran Center of New York. Who were the ones that did this? Frederick H. Whitman, uh, who was a thorough rationalist, did not believe in uh, miracles of the divine at all. August Wackerhagen, uh, the Secretary of the Senate, uh, published this. The 1814 New York Senate volume, a collection of hymns and a liturgy for the use of evangelical Lutheran churches, uh, has never been more succinctly summarized than it was by Pemmerer, 
uh, who said, the liturgical portion of this work, like its eminent authors, talking about Whitman, is rationalistic, liberal, and unlutheran. It possesses not a single redeeming quality. And its chief characteristic is that it is bad all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Well said, uh, it is not responsive in character, it is rationalistic in tone, and bombastic in diction. <laughs> Um, if one is tempted to think that these assessments are overly broad, even a cursory examination of the work in question dispels any doubts of their a- accuracy. The liturgy is annoyingly verbose. Um, and and I, you know, I'm going to comment from, from time to time. Um, many of what you hear about this is mimicked in contemporary worship. And... and as you start to leave the liturgy behind, and the liturgy is very succinct, it tells you exactly what you know you need to know, and um, explains it and goes on. As soon as you start to have uh, someone writing a liturgy for every Sunday, as soon as you start to have explanations, it it for some reason it grows and and it gets bigger and bigger, you know. Um, and so instead of saying, uh, I'm a sinner in thought, word, and deed. All right, we got it. You know, it goes on to say, well, sometimes we think about things that we shouldn't be thinking about, and our words are less than exemplary. And, uh, you know, and, and you, you finally get in, you kind of go, well, what, did I confess something? I, I'm not sure <laughs> if I did or not. That's what happens. And, and so, you know, when it starts to talk about this, being verbose, if you've experienced this, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, where once carefully crafted prayers conveyed the universal needs of the Holy Christian Church, Whitman wears down the hair with tediously long prayers in superabundance. The liturgy, it's hard to call it such, begins without an invocation, so no in the name of the five son, it's simply with its introduction by the singing of a hymn, which is followed by the first of several choose-your-own-adventure models of liturgical construction. Okay, now, I don't, I don't know, this became, it became somewhat popular with, the, with some children's books in which you didn't read the story from page one all the way to the end. As you went through, there were options. And then as you went through the thing, if, if, you, if your favorite color was blue, then you turned to page four. And then if you thought it was this, you turned to this. And so every time you read the book, it was, it was a different story to it. Um, this then became quite with, with computers, so that as you go through your computer adventure... It's never the same because the options that you pick and what you choose and what you say to the guy when you walk up to the thing and then it goes different. And so this kind of idea of choose your own adventure. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have all these options in the liturgy. And so at this point, you can choose one of these two different confessions. You can choose one of the following four absolutions. You can choose here. You can go here. And so in the end, you kind of go, well, um, now, 
Um, normally, this this is a matter of I'm bored. I'm, I'm bored with the liturgy. I'm bored with confessing my sins, receiving absolution, hearing the word of God, having a sermon. Can't we do something different? And so it starts by giving you options after options after options. And then finally, when it goes, and well, we're going to see more. Um, what happened after a while is, is then, well, we want something contemporary. So then the pastor writes the liturgy uh, for you. And so, um, uh, so you have, but, but that, that's, you, you get tired of that liturgy. So, and, and most pastors, even the ones that are uh, very literary, don't do a good job of this. So, the Senate put together something. Um, it was called different things. I think now it's called Lutheran Service Builder in Missouri, uh, in which you subscribe to this, you know, and you pay them 30 bucks a month, and every service then, they've written a new one, someone has produced it at the publishing house, and then everything is printed out in the bulletin. So you don't have the, the options of, do I do, uh, do I do the left side or the right side? Do I, do, I mean, that gets a little, so no, it's all printed out, one right after another, and then, and, and then you do a, you have a different confession every time. It may be keyed with uh, um, may, maybe the readings this morning were about stealing, and so then we're going to confess stealing in the confession. Or maybe, or it may be cued to I don't know something going on. You know, uh, we're going to confess that we've not recycled our aluminum cans and we're contributing to climate change. <laughs> Whatever it might be, that's what you're going to have, and so then it is. But it's sent out to you. Um, <coughs> To, to, to tell you how this just continues to go, once you get this printed in the bulletin, and the entire is in that, you, you don't need to look at the hymnal, um, even for the hymns. Um, so the hymn book stays in the pew, or the pew book stays in the pew. Um, one more thing, and then I'll get to... And, and so uh, the next thing is... Um, I was visiting in Florida and I was told well, uh, you know, all of this is this was printed in the bulletin now this was done by a man who followed the liturgy but printed it all out and so you kind of go, well, you know, it wasn't contemporary but, you know. well then the vacancy pastor comes in and the vacancy pastor can now change the words or at least when he started, he didn't change the words completely. He just changed the tune. So instead of singing Glory and Excelsis to that tune, he changed it so that you sang the Glory and Excelsis to the tune Joy to the World during Christmas time. And then when you got to there, he changed it to another and so pretty soon, then the next guy's going to come along and say, yeah, we don't even need to use those words. We'll throw something else. It makes it pretty easy. And you may not even notice as you do this gradually over time. So that's kind of the progression that you see.
Mary, you had a hand earlier. Uh, further, just a little further down, says the Senate uh, questions whether this is even Lutheran. And the, the thing that stands out to me in, in Luther's teaching was the continuity and getting the congregation familiar with what you're doing. I guess Germans, my bar account, call that familiar, and other people may call it boring. I call it comforting, and other people say I want something different. And uh, I think it's up to the pastor to teach the value of the continuity because you don't read the same sermon over and over, but some of the things that we need to hear, believe me, I need to hear at least weekly. So there are some parts of our service that remain the same. There are some parts that change the readings, mm -hmm. the sermon, the same. Yeah, we got that. Um, granted, I'm concerned about the doctrine, and that's when they mm -hmm. say, is this even Lutheran? Because it's, right. it's started to go... Doctor, right now, is is it possible that you could write and yes, yeah, possible. What we find though is that the reason you're doing this is usually for nefarious purposes, and that would happen. Yeah. But I, I mentioned before, education-wise, I mean, just let me give you some examples. Um, when I had young children at home, and you would read them, you know, whatever it was. Danny and the Dinosaur, mm -hmm. you know, for, for the bedtime story. And the next day, you know, go get a book. We're uh -huh. getting ready for bed and then we'll have prayers. They go and get you Danny the Dinosaur. And you don't change And the, the third and the fourth. <laughs> and, and about the tenth time, you know, now, but, but what is it? It's not that they want anything different. There is a teaching that goes with this. There's a familiarity that goes with this, right? Yep. Um, and it reinforces, you know, they learn the words mm -hmm. so that when dad comes in and I intentionally change a word, call you. you know, the kid can't read, but they know exactly. You know, dad, you know, you know. I love doing it. But, all right, besides that, um, besides that, then the next the next thing with this is, um, when I, and, and you, I know it's happened to you too, when you have gone to a church that doesn't follow the, the liturgy of the Western mm -hmm. church, right, and you go in there and, and they start, you know, it's a hymn. Okay, what's another hymn? Now somebody's talking, okay, okay, uh, he's doing something, and, and pretty soon I, I'm just kind of, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I, I don't. I'm getting kind of edgy. Why? I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing next. I'm not quite sure what they're going to ask me to do. You know. Now I want you to stomp your feet and say, "Who right?" You know. And I'm going. I'm not quite sure. What, and, and then I'm starting to. You know. We'll read this prayer. I'm about halfway through the prayer. I'm going. I don't know. I want to read this prayer. You know. Can I say? I don't even know. When I'm in the liturgy, I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm going. I know where we are going along the way. I, I got this, which allows me to worship. It allows me to think about the words. It allows me to do that. When you are saying, trust me, I'm going to take you on a trip. Hold my hand. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I'm ready for this. 
so that also is is a problem. Um, I was going to say, in response to some of what Mary was saying, it isn't just that they're changing this. It's that they want a different Jesus. And to get a different Jesus who is doing a social gospel or, you know, more understanding of their sins or whatever it is, then you have to change what you say about him in the liturgy because the liturgy confesses the Jesus that is in the scriptures. Um, I was talking with someone. Mary was Stephen. I don't know who it was. Uh, um, And, you know, there are those who have gone, well, you know, I'm Judaism, I, I don't like this liturgy, you know, I, I just want the Word of God. <laughs> and I go to the back of the church, and I have a little pamphlet, it's about a half-page pamphlet, and it's got all the parts of the liturgy, and beside each one it has listing all of the scripture, that where these came from. And so, if you go through, it's something like 95% of our liturgy is direct quotes from the Word of God, you know, or an explanation of that which is the Word of God. And so when someone says to me, you know, I don't like the liturgy, I just want the Word of God, wrong. <laughs> what you want is something besides the Word of God, because that's what we're emphasizing, that's what we're giving you. Speaking of children wanting the same book over and over again, I remember as a small child loving the liturgy in the Lutheran church because before I could read well I could say what we were doing in church mm-hmm. and going to Christian fellowship and going to chapel and seeing them all raise their hands <laughs> and looking at my brother across the way and both of us like what are they going to do next hands down <laughs> and being like mildly terrified of whatever they were going to do because it was different every time and they wanted you to wiggle and all kinds of stuff and when you went to church it was like oh thank you how about smacking to the time of the music, which are the you know the songs in the way back? Uh, we were in a church that did that. Yeah, it just seemed irrelevant. It's hard to it's hard to kid. resist, but you don't want to do it because it's got nothing to do yeah. with yeah. the service. I'm pushing forward. There's a choice of two forms of confession of sins. Two other prayers, proper to be used in the morning service. In place of brief forms of confession such as are common in the general confession, there's a choice of two lengthy confessions that are provided without any form of absolution. You don't know how many times I've gone to, you know, oh yes, we're just do, you know, it's just changing the, the music and we're just writing out, and, and, but, but it's still a confession. And, and when someone wants to change the liturgy, what I often find is they leave out the things that are most important. They get the confession in, and there's no forgiveness of What? No absolution. At all. Exactly. But, the, you know, they don't notice that. Um, you know, it's it's like when you Lutherans go to a, a, a wedding service somewhere, and you go, wait a minute, were there any readings of God's word? You know, we had all kinds of wedding fluff. And we had a pastor say, and then we kind of go, wait a minute, there was not one reading. I mean, I would say, well, okay, there's not an Old Testament, there's no gospel, but I thought there would be like, here's the word of God. Nope. Nope. Um, two other prayers, even more generic. The conclusion of at least one seems to be more of a warning. This is the conclusion of the prayer uh, uh, that says... May no vain thoughts distract our minds. No unworthy object withdraw our affections. May we so carefully improve all the means of religion. 
that we may grow wiser and better and be gradually trained up for the heavenly kingdom and at last be made partakers of that happiness. That's the end of the prayer? Um, you know, um, well, you can see why they don't want an absolution. <laughs> We're getting better. We're improving. We're taking care. Yeah, there's such a dwelling in the realm of the optative construction. He means all of the maze, right? Um, all of the maze. Uh, the, the, you, know what, you know what they call this? They, they call those uh, the salad prayers. <laughs> Salad prayers begin, let us, and they end, may we. <laughs> French salad. There's such a dwelling in the round outfit that the concrete trust in the divine will contained in the word amen seems a stark contrast to so many possibilities. No specific statement is made as regard to the timing of the reading of any passages of scripture, though it seems implicit that it would follow the confession of sins. There's not a curia, the there's not a glory in excelsis or a colic. There's no place for the creed. As regards the appointed lection, Quitman vents his displeasure for the historic lectionary with a disdain which would be seen again in the 1960s and 70s. This is when mm, yeah. they changed the three-year and they got rid of whatever. There is an introduction in which it says, a table of the selections from the scriptures commonly called the Gospels and Epistles. And then Quitman puts this in it after that that says, these selections are added to the liturgy because it has been customary in many of the Lutheran wow. churches in the United States to have them read regularly in public worship. But it is necessary to remark concerning them that there is an impropriety in congregations confining themselves year after year to these portions of the sacred volume and neglecting all the rest. It is improper. When they meet together for instruction and prayer, it is very desirable that other and larger sections of the scriptures should be read in our religious assemblies. Isn't that the fault of the pastor if they don't know about the rest of the world? Such a claim ignores the catechal intention, that is the repetition teaching, a selection of lections, which has largely stood steadfast since Charlemagne reigned over the Holy Roman Empire in the early days of the ninth century. The lectionary, would seem, would be the plaything of board clergy to play with at their whim, and that's what was going on. Um, you say, do, they, do the pastors need to teach this? Wednesday nights, we have catechesis. There is a reading that I explain. It is the gospel reading for the coming Sunday. Based upon that reading, we teach the doctrine. What do we find? That by going through those main readings every year, we go over the main teachings of God's word every year. And it's almost, I'm going to say, twice a year, because you've got the festival time of church here and the non-festival. Anyway, uh, um, but no, we don't want to do that. Uh, the next provided element is eight general prayers <laughs> proper to the use of the public worship. They are remarkably verbose. <clears throat> Check this out. 25 pages of general prayers from a 32-page liturgy. There's only seven other pages uh, that go with that. One is left to conclude that the general prayer precedes the sermon because the next section says, and four prayers after the sermon. 
Normally you have the general for after, but so, which only have the virtue of being remarkably shorter. The section is followed by scriptural benedictions for the conclusion of public worship, and now we got six of those. Um, one is left almost entirely without guidance as to when hymns should be sung. Surprisingly, Quitman does not even indicate when the offering is to be collected. Save for any hymns being sung, according to this liturgy, the congregation says nothing. If you don't sing a hymn, everything in the liturgy is simply the pastor preaching at you from, the, from whatever he says. Um, which, I'm going to tell you once again, when you go to contemporary <coughs> worship, you put four singers up in front of you to sing at you because some of the contemporary stuff you don't know and you can't quite sing to it any better than the way you sing to the music on the radio. And yeah. Um, and so all, what happens? Most of the time, you're being sung at and you sit there as if it is a performance. Not, you know, um, what are the complaints about the historic liturgy? Wow, there's all this stuff, you know, I, I'm, there's, there's chanting, there's saying amen, there's standing up, there's sitting down, there's, you know, I'm not going to go, yeah, you're supposed to be worshiping. It's not a performance. It includes you. When the Lord's Supper was celebrated, the Sursum Corda, Lift up your hearts. The preface, they're all omitted. Instead, there's a new exhortation. It makes no reference to the real present, which Whitman apparently didn't believe anyway. Between the Lord's Prayer and the words of institution is a very lengthy Eucharistic prayer that would give the liturgical fattest from the late 1960s to the present something akin to hot flashes. <laughs> it goes on for two full pages. And the Eucharistic prayer makes repeated references to our sacrifice. <coughs> he quotes, and we beseech thee, O most merciful Father, to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, to grant that we may obtain all the benefits which flow from his death, his resurrection, and his... And again, glory... Uh, we present and devote to thee, O God, our bodies and our souls to be a reasonable and holy and living sacrifice. This confusion of the benefits of the sacrament being linked to our sacrifice utterly corrupts the consecration which is embedded in the prayer. And then, okay, so then there's an invitation which is pretty well open communion. Let me talk about the Eucharistic prayer, okay? At the time of Luther, the Eucharistic prayer and... Uh, here, the Eucharistic prayer. Um, the Eucharistic prayer is uh, a lengthy prayer that when you begin to start the liturgy in the Roman Mass... You start with the preface as we are used to. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just so to do. Um, normally we follow it with the, the proper preface, which goes to the season and all. Um, and, and that would go. And then there is the, the Sanctus 
praising you together. Holy, 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 Lord God is out of right. We usually have a uh, a Lord's Prayer. We have the words of institution. Um, and then we receive Lord's Supper. Luther took this long Eucharistic prayer, which was a prayer of the pastor, inside, I'm going to show you, inside of this prayer that the priest prayed, was included the Lord's Prayer. I mean, in between two pages of praying, and then he kind of prays the Lord's Prayer, and then he keeps praying a little bit longer, and we kind of go on. And, and Luther grabbed the words of institution, being as important as there are, took that prayer out, he called that a cesspool, and said, I'm going to put the words of institution, and I'm going to put the Lord's Prayer, which is kind of the consecratory prayer uh, uh, that goes with that, and uh, that will highlight what is most important, rather than sticking in inside that. There's a couple other things with the Eucharistic prayer. One is this, um, rather than emphasize the sacramental aspect of Lord's Supper that God is giving to us and we are thankful that it is body and blood given for forgiveness that we would receive it the Roman has telling God we are making a sacrifice to you and we want you to accept our sacrifice that's why I call it the sacrifice of the mass so Luther saw this sacrificial talk all the way through and said this is not what our Lord said so he wants that out the other is there was a prayer called the Epiclesis in which we pray that the were, that the bread and wine might become the body and blood. And supposedly, if you, by praying this prayer, you you change it. The so, bell rang. The bell rang. That was the <laughs> epiclea. That was the, the changing of it. That also is gone. We're going to the words of institution. So, take a look. So we have what we're used to. You have a sanctus kind of thing like that. Um, note going on. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we humbly make prayer and petition through Jesus Christ that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished, turns it into a sacrifice. We're giving you, we're offering this up to you. The idea is that God said to do this, and when we offer up the sacrifice, then he gives us stuff. Um, we offer you, firstly, the Holy Church. Grant her peace, guard and unite throughout the world, together with your servant, our bishop, all those who are holding the Catholic faith. Uh, there may be other. Remember your servants. If there is anyone in particular that we're going to pray for and ask that the, the, the stuff that we earn, we'll give it to them too. Uh, so we'll mention them, especially if they pay for this Mass. We'll include their name here. And all gathered here whose faith and devotion know. We're going to offer you this, and you've got sacrifice against, sacrifice of praise, uh, or they offer it for themselves, all who are dear for the redemption. We're paying homage to you, the eternal living God. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, now we have the list of all the uh, saints that we're going to remember. Um, and we ask that through the merits and prayers of these, uh, that we might be protected. Then there is a that proper uh, that goes, whether it's during Christmas time or Epiphany or whatever. We're going to keep going. Um, Ascension Day, Pentecost Day, uh, uh, Easter Vigil. Uh, graciously accept this oblation of our sacrifice. 
that we make to you for those who have been pleased to give you the new birth, uh, that they might be delivered again at sacrifice talk again. Be pleased, though, uh, to bless and approve this offering and every, make it a spiritual and acceptable sacrifice offering that we're giving to you. Joins us again. And then as it goes on, on this day, he was to suffer on the same night which he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he got, all of a sudden you kind of go, wait a minute, I think he's saying the words of institution. But it's stuck in the prayer. Um, and so here are the words of institution. Um, broke the bread, take, eat, this is given for you. Uh, in a similar way, took the chalice, um, uh, take all of this and drink it. And then the prayer continues. I mean, there's no break. It's just one right thing after another. This mystery of faith, we proclaim your death. Oh, Lord, for this resurrection to you come again. This or, or, or. Uh, then, O oh Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the resurrection, we, your servants, we offer to you from the gifts you have given us, we offer you this your victim, this holy sacrifice, this father did, the holy bread of the chalice that we offer it up to you. Be pleased to look upon these offerings, to accept them, uh, uh, that you would have pleased to accept these gifts as you accepted sacrifice of Abraham's and the offering, um, and a holy sacrifice of father. I mean, can you see the sacrifice? I mean, when it says sacrifice of mass, that's what Luther was. We humbly ask you, Almighty God, command these gifts to be borne by uh, the hands and the sight of your this participation as we receive it and be oops, my thing as we be filled with every grace and blessing uh, there is the commemoration of those who have died in the faith and so we're going to remember uh, those who have died grant O Lord we pray that those who would find a place of refreshment and light to also your servants we ask that you would give these things we're going to have a mention of the saints through Jesus Christ, through whom we continue to make these good things, sanctify these things, bless them, uh, through him, da 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 Amen. And then, you continue with the communion rite, which is the receiving of supper. That was the Eucharistic prayer. The Lutheran hymnal, it was originally, did you know it was originally produced in blue? And it was called the Blue Book. I've only seen it as the Red Book. <laughs> because later it was published in red, and I always called it the Red Book, and someone called it the Blue, and I couldn't figure out what the... Anyway, this, this book, as in all the German literature before, has no Eucharistic prayer. This worship supplement, which came out in 1969 after Vatican II, when they were doing stuff, whatever, and everybody was doing liturgical kind of changes, you start to see Eucharistic prayers included. In fact, you also see option after option after option. There's four different ones that kind of goes with this, if you think this was the first that came. By the time we got to take your uh, hymnal, open it up, go to page 144, Page 144 in your Lutheran worship, the Blue Book. You can see at the bottom of page 144, the service of Holy Communion. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. You see those things. Page 145 at the bottom, you see the common preface. Turn the page. 
those are the options that go with the time of the church here. So there are different options that go with it. When you get to page 148, you've got the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy. And there, in the middle of page 149, is uh, the Eucharistic prayer. Now, I will tell you that, and we, we use this each time. Well, let me give you the rest of it. Following that, what do you see? The prayer stops. You have the Lord's Prayer, which concludes it. And then you've got the words of institution. It's not one. It's not included in a Lord's in a prayer. It's not the pastor's prayer. Two, there's no prayer that it might be changed into the body and blood of Christ. Three, there is no, we offer up to you that this is a sacrifice. There is, and it might, if you don't know, there is the word sacrifice in here, but it's quite carefully explained. Take a look at page 149. Lord of heaven and earth, we praise and thank you for having had mercy on those whom you created, sending your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. So, again, it's well put together. Okay? Um, one, we're going to praise and thank him because it said at the beginning it's always right to you should praise God. Two, you send him down to be our Savior. Three, we're to receive in this it's all about reception. What Christ offered, he is the priest, he is the sacrifice, we're not doing it. Second paragraph. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood as he bids us do in his own testament. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. So we see in connection with that this uh, let us confess our sins, let us receive, and the emphasis upon it being the body and blood of Christ. So, does is, is it wrong? No. But this is the first time, except for that worship supplement kind of thing, this is the first time that you see a Eucharistic prayer of any kind in, included in a Lutheran book. Eric? So there is times in scriptures where it talks about how our sins put Jesus on the cross and how we are responsible then for his yeah. suffering. Does that play any part into the confusion that it's our sacrifice? Oh, as if our sacrifice, not meaning what I offer to him, but our sacrifice meaning what he did for us. Right. Is Whew. that playing um, into that confusion? Or no? That's called it in... in, in <laughs> Yeah, in, in grant, that's called a subjective genitive or an objective genitive. <laughs> Woo! Um, that, that's a deep. Uh, that's, that's a tough subject. Um, no, actually, in this it doesn't. We do have to be careful of that kind of thing. Um, uh, in in this, in the Roman idea, the priest offers up an unbloody sacrifice continually. And what he offers up is what Jesus offered up once in a bloody sacrifice. And so they would say, I, we have to continue to do it. So we are 
with Jesus doing this together. It it makes it sound better, but it's not. Um, Anyway, uh, so that's what you, that's the first time you see it. It continues with uh, Hymnal Supplement 98. It continues with LSB um, to to have this. Um, that's, that's what it's referring to in this text when it talks about this uh, uh, Eucharistic sacrifice. Um, I will say that the Eucharistic prayer that's there in, in Lutheran worship I think it's well written. I think it does a pretty good. I think it could be improved, but I think it's I think it's decent. And by setting it apart and going missing those things, I, I, I I'm comfortable with it. That being said, if it's not there, there almost needs to be something that tells us on a weekly basis what's going on in the Lord's Supper. <coughs> now the liturgy you know, is, is going through and is doing it rightly, but something. We've already heard about this thing called the exhortation. And at Luther's time, there was an exhortation that does that. It's not a prayer. It's the pastor talking to the people and saying, now we're getting ready for the Lord's Supper. Here's what's going on here. And with that exhortation, it does the same purpose with it. Um, without all the baggage you. that you have with uh, with the with the Lord's with the Eucharistic prayer. So, uh, questions about that? Uh, going on in Whitman's, and there's an invitation to communion. It's decreed with a declaration. Thus commanded and invited, let us approach the table of the Lord, my brethren, with devotion and faith with gratitude and charity, with penitence and holy joy. In the name of Christ, our common and only Master, I say to all who own him as their Savior and resolve to be his faithful subjects, ye are welcome to this feast of love. Pretty well open communion. Um, you know, at this point, it is the invitation um, concerning, you know, if you really love Jesus, uh, you can come. Naturally, the obnoxious Protestant formula Jesus said was also used for uh, the distribution um, going on that quote the minister is at liberty to substitute any other words in the place of these it's desirable in fact that he should endeavor to keep alive the devotion of the communicants by appropriate addresses to them or by suitable passages of scripture like the Bible and so you know, Whitman says, well, we put this here, but, but it would be a whole lot better if you just change things all the time. Um, that will keep the, uh, the devotion of the people. Um, this liturgy was still the official liturgy in 1827. Um, to ex- yeah, Mary? Uh, before we lose it, what's the name of this book you're reading from? And uh, I am reading when? from this book. I got a couple copies of it. It's uh, Fire Bishop. Uh, Heiser. It is called The Common Service. Uh, this is the first part of it. I'm, I'm only going to be going over the kind of the, the, uh, the first few pages. Of and it. is that 2022? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Kemmerer observed. <laughs> uh, 
1834, the New York Ministerium felt constrained to publish a new liturgy for use of its English congregations. Oh! However, if anything, the situation got even worse. There was such a close identity between the 1834 and that of 20 years later that the hymn book simply reprinted uh, Quitman's preface, and what followed in the liturgy was an amplification of what had been previously published. Now what do we have? <laughs> I, I'm not going to go through. Four forms of confession, four other prayers, no absolution, not a curia and gloria, eight general prayers, five prayers for festification. I, I, you know, in short, the English liturgy remained a disgrace. Therefore, was all the, all the more widely adopted. <laughs> uh, can I read that again? <laughs> Yeah. They replaced it with another one that was even worse. And now, they said, well, we ought to adopt that. That would be really good. Um, and that is the situation. So we had the Tennessee Center doing some things uh, that were very good as best we could, but not, that which was going on in the general, uh, in the New York Ministerium uh, and, and all. Um, the German liturgies, um, uh, must be observed they were even worse and so you know, he, he goes on talking about the, uh, the things that even the German liturgies of that time it is not without reason that the Tennessee Senate questioned whether the other Senate could even be considered Lutheran based upon what's going on so you can see this period in the history of the Lutheran Church in America is bleak and we are not yet to the end of that bleakness but one may observe that the 1834 liturgy is arguably uh, rock bottom. That's you know, where where you end up with it. Um, on your yellow sheet, um, yeah, I'm I'm at that section. We had the first part, the second part. I'm now at the breaking point um, for before we get to the General Senate of 1820. Now, I'll just explain to kind of give you a preview. You might remember back up at the top of the page, and this, this if, if you don't see it, the Tennessee Senate was formed in 1820. Down here, the General Senate is formed in 1820. What was going on? At the time that the Pennsylvania Ministerium, uh, uh, New York Ministerium, and then the Pennsylvania Ministerium, they're doing these things, Pennsylvania Senate, um, they want to go forward with all of this crazy stuff. The Tennessee Senate says, we're not doing that. And so when the general Senate is formed, Tennessee and Ohio pull out and say, we are not going into that group. And Tennessee does their own thing. Ohio does their own thing. And the general Senate goes forward with the craziness. Okay? So we're going to be taking a look at that next time. Um, uh, what goes forward with that and, 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 and what they're doing. But those are going on at the same time. Uh, what went on in the Tennessee Senate and what goes on in the General Senate. Uh, what do you get out of this? You know, I, I'm trying to give you a couple things. You know, we've gone over the general prayer. We've gone over... 
uh, the liturgy. We've gone over the Eucharistic prayer. Some of these things that come up. We've gone over some hymnody. We've gone over a one-year lectionary as we've pulled out some of the things that they weren't doing and kind of why. Um, uh, at this point, you can see in these liturgies that they have all manner of stuff is going on. You know, we haven't gotten to you know the revival songs, the things that that, that were done. Um, we're going to quickly rush through those um, because, I mean, you can keep going for three generations with this stuff. And then we're going to see something happens. Something happens uh, in which the General Senate goes so far that some of these groups pull out and they form the General uh, Council, uh, the General Senate. And so at this point, they're going to start to go back to the service and they're going to form what's called the common service, which we're going to see with 1941 and some of the ones that follow after that continue in that uh, particular uh, family of, of liturgies. So we'll see that as we kind of push forward. Questions? The only comment I have is this sounds like uh, it's a, a bunch of uh, late teens, early 20s that are trying to <laughs> and they come up with all these flowery words that work its way through rather than even understanding what was going on there and they're bombing determined to change things. <laughs> to yes. me what it sounds like. Um, yeah, and, and you know, uh, I, I think their history mimics kind of what we've seen in the last 40 years. Their history was was rationalism and pietism. Now, many of those things are pretty similar with, you know, the denial of, of the divine and our emphasis upon the heart and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in our time, if I were going to liken it, I'm going to tell you, just like the baby boom generation, as they came through society, they changed every institution. You know, it used to be that you went to a restaurant to eat food. Once the baby boomers went through, there were playgrounds, it was fun, it was, you know, you kind of go, wait a minute, what is going on here? You know, um, when the baby boomers went through the church, they changed the church. They changed the liturgy. They changed what went on. They changed the way it looked. They, cha they changed everything. Um, and and that's what you see. The problem with the baby regenerate is most of them were uneducated in religious matters. So what they did was simply what they thought was best without... Resisting authority was big. Was big, right. Right. <laughs> and if you don't know authority or you don't know what the history is, mm -hmm. it's even, well... This is even better. Um, so that's what you see. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there are so many pitfalls along the way. We ask, dear Lord, that you would uh, continue to teach us your word, uh, that you would send us faithful pastors to uh, uh, ground us in your promise of the forgiveness of sins, rightly distinguishing law and gospel, uh, that we might hear the word of God and keep it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.